This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello there. It's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the One Verse Podcast. The following episode is an excerpt taken from one of the lessons in my online course, The Gospel Dictionary. In case you aren't aware of it, I have an online discipleship group, and one of the main things I do in this discipleship group is teach online courses. I think there's about 10 courses available now for people in the discipleship group, and one of them, one of these courses, is The Gospel Dictionary. The Gospel Dictionary looks at 52 keywords of the gospel, When it's all said and done, there might be a few additional words as well, and contains, I don't know, so far, about 100 hours of teaching, and I'm only about halfway through. So um, uh, this, this podcast episode is an excerpt from one, just one of the lessons in that dictionary course. Now, if you want to take that course, you have to be part of the discipleship group, and you can do that by going to redeeminggod.com slash join. Learn uh, more there and uh, join up there. So I, I look forward to, to seeing you there inside the discipleship group and uh, taking this course. Uh, this course will eventually become a book, probably several books, uh, but that's several years away from the time of me recording this. I got to finish the course itself and then edit and process. And So anyway, uh, if, if you're anxious, though, to read everything and get access to everything, the only way to do that is inside the Discipleship Group, okay? They have PDF downloads, MP3 downloads, and you can uh, interact with me there as well about the content of these lessons. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate it, telling other people about it as well. That's how uh, word spreads about this. If you find the content of these podcasts helpful, Uh, and you're sharing it with others. Thank you so, so much. All right, with all of that in mind, let's get into the content of today's podcast study. Let's move into the prayer of Jesus, which is the true Lord's Prayer in John 17. You've heard people preach and teach on this text. You know it sort of comes into three parts. The prayer of Jesus, Jesus prays for himself, Then Jesus prays for his disciples, and then Jesus prays for everybody who would believe in him. Prays for himself in 1 through 5, prays for his disciples in 6 through 19, and prays for everyone, that includes you and me, by the way, uh, in verses 20 through 26. And what is interesting about the prayer of Jesus here is that the theme of glory is found in all three sections. In each section, uh, these references to glory don't follow the normal New Testament usage of radiance and majesty, but instead sort of follow the normal usage outside of the New Testament, which is this concept of having a high opinion among others. And so here's one of these places in the prayer of Jesus, as he's saying, you know, uh, God, glorify me, glorify my disciples, glorify uh, those who believe in me. Uh, Jesus is saying, help their reputation to increase in the world. Help people to think highly of them and of me based on what we do and how we live our lives. So that this is the normal usage, referring to the sort of high opinion, to think highly of somebody. And here, this is what Paul or Jesus prays for. It's okay for you to pray for these things too, by the way, to pray for, to live in such a way before others that they think highly of you and therefore 
highly of God, as we are thought highly of, among others, that glory, that uh, high opinion, also gets passed on to God. And vice versa, as people think more highly of God, then they tend to think more highly of those who truly follow God. So let's, uh, in the first section of his prayer, Jesus is praying for himself. This is in 1 through 5. And in verse 2, he asks that he himself would be glorified so that he can bring glory to the Father. And Jesus says he's already glorified God by completing the work which God sent him to do. And he now asks that he be returned to the glory he had with God before the world came into existence. Now, there are four significant truths from this first part of the prayer of Jesus in which he's praying for himself. First, Jesus indicates here that although all glory comes from God and belongs to God, Jesus prays that God would be glorified even further through the actions of Jesus. Jesus wants to bring glory to God, and this is to be accomplished through God giving glory to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? God's glory sort of appears to be something that only increases as he gives it away, as he gives it to others. Uh, And this may be partly why God chose to not only share his glory with Jesus, but also with everyone who would believe in Jesus. God does want to bring glory to himself, to make his name great, for his reputation to increase on the earth. And the more God gives away his glory to others, the more God's glory increases. So the more he gives it away, the more it grows. The reputation of God increases as people who bear his name grow their reputation and live like God, be his hands and feet and voice among others. That's the first thing. Second thing to notice here about Jesus' reference to glory is that it seem, this seems to be an example where the original meaning of doxa shines through. All right, Jesus says that he's already been glorified on the earth, and he prays that he will be glorified further so that he can bring even more glory to God. And in the context, what is what does all of this glory look like? The glory, it appears, that Jesus is referring to here is not the sort of New Testament specific idea of radiance and splendor and light, but rather this concept of having a good reputation, a positive opinion among the people of the earth. And again, that's the primary meaning of doxa outside of the Bible. But We also find it in places inside the New Testament, such as here. Jesus wants people to think highly of God. And Jesus prays that this can be accomplished by having people think highly of himself. And the implication then is that when Jesus lives as God wants him to live, people will think highly of Jesus. And since Jesus is God's representative, this will lead to people thinking more highly of God. Right? So that's just this second concept here about glory. Third, Jesus says that he has already glorified God by finishing the work which God gave him to do. Now, you think about this. Jesus has not yet been arrested. He's not yet been crucified. He's not yet died. He's not yet risen from the dead. And yet Jesus says that he has finished the work which God gave him to do. It's a little bit of a surprising statement, especially since we know it's not until right near the end of his time on the cross when Jesus shouts out, cries out, it is finished. 
That's in John 19.30. So how can Jesus say here, I've done everything you sent me to do, I've finished the work you sent me to do, uh, and yet on the cross, that's when Jesus says, it is finished, right? Well, did he finish it here? Did he finish it then? Which is it? I believe the answer is found in the references to glory that Jesus mentions back in John 13, 31 to 32. This whole section is the Upper Room Discourse, John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and then they go out and he prays this in John 17, and so on. It's all part of this package deal, these final instructions of Jesus. And back in John 13, Jesus had just declared that one of his disciples would betray him. Of course, we know this is Judas. He identifies Judas, dipping the bread and the bowl with him. And then in John 13, 30, Judas goes out into the night. That's when he's going to go get the soldiers, and they're going to go up and meet Jesus in the garden, and then G- Judas will betray him. All right? So when Judas goes out into the night, basically at that point, that begins this chain of events that is going to take Jesus to the cross. And it is immediately after this, in verses 31 and 32, immediately following Judas's departure, that Jesus says, he will be glorified and God will be glorified in him, and this glorification will happen very soon. All right, so when Jesus says here in the prayer that he's completed everything God has given him to do, I think what he's saying is that the steps are in place for the events that will take him to the final event, which is the cross. All right, no, he hasn't done it all yet. But as far as Jesus is concerned, the work he needs to do, it's done. And at this point, nothing can be reversed. Nothing can be stopped. I mean, the events are in place and uh, it's, it's going to happen. Okay, so that's what Jesus is saying here. And, and immediately after he finishes his prayer, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, that is when Judas shows up with the soldiers, the guards, and Judas kisses him and betrays him. And that uh, leads Jesus directly to his crucifixion. Okay, so is all of Jesus' work finished? Well, yes and no. Yes, uh, he's done everything he needs to do. There's nothing left for Jesus to do that he himself is responsible for, all right? Uh, But no, there are still things that are going to happen to Jesus. Everything's in place for it to happen. It's going to happen. uh, And there's nothing else for Jesus to perform other than... Bear with patience and suffering what is going to happen to him. And he has already resolved to do that. So, uh, yes, uh, his work is finished, but no, there are still things that are going to be done. All right, so that's sort of how I understand that. Uh, And even then, just sort of a side note here, uh, Jesus says that he has completed everything that God gave him to do, or, or the work of God that God sent him to do. I do not think, and yes, Jesus still has the crucifixion, but I I do not think that we can uh, properly refer to the crucifixion as a work of God or something that God wanted Jesus to do. All right, In, in other entries in this Gospel Dictionary course and in my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, I argue that the crucifixion is a human work on God, on Jesus. It is not something God wanted, required, or demanded, but it is something that needed to happen from a human perspective so that God could reveal to humans what we do. 
how life works for us and why it's wrong and we should turn away from it. The, the crucifixion isn't so much a work of God, it's a work of humans. And, and really, it's the work of the accuser, Satan, uh, putting Jesus to death as the scapegoat victim. And, and that ancient practice was revealed to humanity through the death of Jesus. The veil was taken away to reveal what's actually going on when we accuse and condemn other people in God's name. And none of that can be properly described as the will of God or the work of God, all right? So in that sense also, Jesus can say he has completed all the work God sent him to do. There's still some things that Satan and humans are going to do to Jesus, but this is not the work that God sent him to do. Anyway, a little tangent, side note. The fourth thing about this first part of the prayer of Jesus here where he's praying for himself about glory Jesus says that the glory he seeks is the same glory he had before the world began, before the world came into being. That's verse 5. So Jesus is not receiving new glory, which he didn't have before. He's simply returning to the glory he shared with God for all eternity. The new aspect of glory, which was unknown in Scripture prior to Jesus, is this idea of imputed glory, which God shares with humanity through Jesus. And, and, and that, in fact, that sort of transitions because that is what Jesus turns to next. He's prayed for himself, these four sort of truths about the glory, about him praying for himself. But now in the second part of his prayer, Jesus prays for his 12 disciples, and, and maybe primarily the 11, although he does pray about Judas in there a little bit as well. Uh, and, and here, Jesus also mentions glory. He says, just as God was glorified in Jesus, Jesus says, I want you to be glorified in my disciples. That's verse 10. And, and they brought glory to God in the same way Jesus brings glory to God. They, they do this by bringing glory to Jesus even, as his disciples, as his followers. How? Well, how did Jesus bring glory to God? Jesus brings glory to God by following God, obeying God, doing what God says. That's how the disciples can bring glory to God as well, by following God, Jesus, obeying Jesus, doing what Jesus commanded. Okay, so here as well, the concept of glory doesn't really seem to fit with the idea of radiance or bright splendor, right? As the disciples obeyed Jesus and did what Jesus did and followed Jesus around, do they start to glow and shine? No, they don't. Uh, but they do gain a reputation for themselves as people of of justice and integrity and honor and truthfulness and faith and love and grace and mercy and all the other characteristics of Jesus. And in that way, they bring, uh, people start to think more highly of them. And as a result, they they, they start to think more highly of Jesus. Oh, these people are representing Jesus. This is how they live. That means he was a good teacher. That means he taught them well. So now they start to think more highly of Jesus, bringing glory to Jesus. And then, of course, they end up bringing more glory to God as well. So uh, here, here again, the reference to glory is the sort of traditional, common reference to glory uh, of uh, having a high opinion. The final, the third part of the prayer is where Jesus prays for all people who will believe in him. So that includes you and me. And it also contains numerous references to glory. Jesus asks that all who believe in him will share in the glory that he shares with God. And what does that glory look like? It looks like unity and love. I should have done that as a trick question or something. What does glory look like in Christians today? And different people would describe it as, you know, giant churches or, 
or political influence or who knows what. But Jesus says, you know, you know what glory looks like? You know how to expand your glory and raise the glory of Jesus? Live in unity and love for each other. Um, that's what God's glory looks like among us. As we live in unity and love with Jesus, as we live in unity and love with each other, the world comes to know God. This is how they know that we are his disciples, the disciples of Jesus. And as we live in unity and love with each other, people's opinion of us raises, then Jesus is as well. They, they have a better opinion of Jesus and eventually a better opinion of God. And so the glory of God rises as well. And uh, these conditions for glory that we live in unity and love, they parallel, going all the way back to John 13 again, sort of the bookends of, of, of this, uh, the upper room discourse and this prayer of Jesus, this concept of glory. You go all the way back to John 13, back when Jesus was introducing glory and now praying about glory, and we see the same truths there. Uh, Jesus is going to bring glory to God through obedience to him. God will give glory to Jesus. So also, Disciples can receive glory from God and give glory to him. How? By loving one another. Jesus says in John 13, 35, that this, that love, is how people will recognize that we are one of his disciples, that we are a follower of Jesus. And uh, that helps us gain good reputation and helps Jesus as well. Okay, so John 17, prayer of Jesus seems that glory in the New Testament does not always refer to glorified, uh, majestic bodies in the afterlife where we shine like the sun and have radiant clothes like Jesus did in the Transfiguration. Sometimes the glory of God, the glory of Jesus, the glory of Christians follows the common definition which was found in all other Greek literature, which is the idea of having a good reputation. And in such cases... As seen here in John 17, there are conditions involved, and we need to live in love and unity with each other. Okay? But that radiant glory, the glory of God, of majesty and splendor and light, the eternal glory that will be given to us when we receive our perfect resurrected bodies for eternity, uh, that sort of glory is unconditional. All right? There's no conditions of obedience and faithful living in order to receive that sort of glory. It is unconditional, and God will give it to all who are justified. I guess maybe that would be the condition. It doesn't, it's not given to unbelievers, but once a person uh, believes in Jesus for eternal life, then they will be glorified. Uh, and that's the truth that Paul taught, te teaches in Romans 8.30, which is the passage we want to look at next. So that's going to do it for today's podcast study. I hope you found this study helpful and beneficial in not only understanding a key word about the gospel, related to the gospel in Scripture, uh, but also help bringing you greater and deeper understanding of a particular Bible verse uh, from Scripture. And of course, it's not just about gaining knowledge of the Scripture, but also applying it to our lives so that we can live in light of the gospel with God and with others, and also bringing this light to the world. Just as a reminder... This podcast study was an excerpt from my Gospel Dictionary online course. This course looks at 52 keywords of the Gospel and hundreds and hundreds of Bible passages about the, the Gospel. And uh, it is available 
The only way to take this course is by joining my online discipleship group. You can learn more and join by visiting redeeminggod.com slash join. You not only get access to this online course, the Gospel Dictionary, but all of my other courses as well. We're thousands of dollars. There's hundreds of hours of teaching, and I'm adding more all the time. So anyway, if you would like to learn in this format through audio, uh, you can join there. There's PDF downloads, book downloads, free eBooks, even get access to my private Facebook group. You can contact me by email and so many other benefits as well. Uh, just by joining up, I'm going to send you a free audio book on prayer. So anyway, to learn more and join me there, just go to redeeminggod.com slash join. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode today, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode as well. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.